0: Hello, everybody. Hello, class. Week three, my week three podcast. So we had the introduction week, and then last week we started this assignment, and now it is our second podcast here in week three of our seven-week mass media class here at Rosemont College with our department head, Professor Crawford. Professor Crawford's done a great job with mass media i have a sneaky suspicion this is one of her favorite classes to teach i mean who doesn't love keeping up with mass media i mean just in this last week all of us have been you know glued to the tv whether it be cnn coverage or abc or you know some people like to switch over to fox from time to time to see what the other side of the coin is saying um i mean yeah what a great time to be learning about mass media and how things are portrayed and everything like that. So it's timely to say the least. I mean, just in the last day or so we've figured out uh, that Pennsylvania last 24 hours, I guess a little bit more than that now, Pennsylvania has swung to Joe Biden and in a large part due to our city of Philadelphia, which a lot of us call home or has a, an effect on a lot of us who are, you know, born and raised in the area. Um, it's something to really be proud of, to feel like our city is on the right side of the his, of history for, you know, people who are of that line of thinking. Um, so just a really great end to my weekend here to be able to jump on this podcast and talk to you guys about uh the internet and you know mass media in general and how mass media has affected the way we all engage with politics and uh society and just you know mass groups of people in general both in our country and internationally so i mean we i just i'll talk a little bit about um how kind of annoyed I was about getting election calls constantly being badgered with texts constantly I mean personally I was going to vote the way I was going to vote no matter what and I was going to go do so in my polling place the whole time so being badgered about a mail-in ballot and having a and you know a voting plan and I know that not all voters are as informed as the next, so it's important for them to reach out, but uh, let's just say I'm I'm glad that it was over, you know, to not get those texts every single day and those calls, letting you know about your options. But it just goes to show how important, you know, engaging through media, whether that be by email, by phone, by text, through uh, targeted television commercials and regional television commercials to you know get people to vote uh, I mean the people that were able to vote this election was far and on above the normal stats uh, so I just think that's a great job to everyone involved for getting themselves registered and trying to get people in your communities registered and getting kids who have just recently turned 18 registered and caring about what happens in the election um like i said getting people in communities who may not you know it's maybe not their first priority but you know this year it was a priority and a lot that's in a large part due to media factors you know letting people know and keeping people informed uh, of the ways that they can you know get themselves registered to vote you know v- voter suppression and uh you know, not wanting certain groups of people to have a voice has been a very real thing. And it's a shame that it has been even still in 2020. So I think that uh, there's a lot of progress in having, you know, people in these densely populated areas uh, care about their communities and what goes on on a larger scale and not, you know, really stepping up to the plate and taking responsibility on a personal level so um that's my little election tangent at the front of this but it does tie in pretty well to our overarching question for this podcast which is uh, about the future of the internet because it ties in well to you know the future of our country um how we're going to be communicating with each other how we perceive news and stuff like that so to start off uh talking about the future of the internet i did want to talk about a couple things that you can watch that are really informational and educational on uh you know the current state of the internet so the first one would be called the great hack on netflix i really enjoyed this uh documentary had really appealing graphics and information they had like a cool thing where like they talk about the cloud and how everything's you know stored up in the cloud and they have this you know video graphic of your information like like snowing in reverse uh, up into into the cloud, like from your cell phone, like letting off like a trail of smoke almost, but in like little data chunks just going up into the cloud. So it was a pretty cool visual to see how every little like imaginary tidbit of information does actually go up there. Every single bullet point of, you know, your likes and preferences and dislikes and opinions and favorite brands or causes uh is being kept track of and every little data point is a part of your um personal data point that you know big companies can use uh to you know get you to either get you to spend more money or act in in a certain way that you may not even know that they're getting you to so the great hack talks about all of this um it talks about a company called cambridge analytica who claims that they have 5,000 data points on every single American voter and uh, they were in a large part um, helpful in Donald Trump winning the election in 2016. They go in great length to talk about how they were able to serve up specific uh, tailored content to voters in swing states so they would profile Voters who weren't necessarily left-leaning or right-leaning in swing states such as PA and Michigan and things like that. And they would serve up, you know, specific content on their Facebook or Instagram or Twitter feeds um, that sort of trying to mold them to be the type of voter and individual and see the world in the way that they wanted them to see it. So this is a kind of obstacle that, you know, in our country, we've never really had to deal before, you know, you're getting served up content, uh, that you're not even aware of. It's like, it's almost like you're getting hypnotized or brainwashed and like completely unbeknownst to you. Um, it's like, you know, back in old movies when they used to do the the flash thing and they used to flash a product in front of your face for one second you wouldn't even realize it was there and uh Cambridge Analytica would sell their services to any party interested and not really care about the repercussions of their work or you know what was going to happen on a larger scale uh if they lended their services to a specific party so you know this is a british company getting involved with brexit and getting involved with you know the united states election and they're more concerned about in their own country they're more concerned about making their own money for their company and their stakeholders and themselves than they were you know the the overarching like good of their country they had Great Britain leave the EU, Um, much to the dismay of, you know, the greater public uh, just to make themselves money because this cause that wanted Brexit to happen was willing to pay them a great amount to, you know, keep track of people's data and help them tailor up data to specific individuals that needed to be you know, targeted to and convinced in order for the cause to, you know, reach fruition. So, The Great Hack is definitely uh, a good watch if you'd like to learn more about, you know, just how much power they have over us and exactly what the rules are, um, you know, in the modern day, because as much as, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and all the large social media conglomerates want to keep this from happening the the game is simply changed at this point there's no there's no real way to keep it from happening uh, anymore so at, at this point in time I think it's all about you know um informing users so just trying to inform people that this stuff is happening so they can be wary of it and you know even though that they do see something on the internet uh to not be you know maybe as swayed by it as they should be because anything can be dressed up any any which way you know growing up we were always told you know never to believe everything we've read like we saw on tv you know don't don't believe everything you read on the internet and uh While we do know that as a fundamental rule, we find that when it's on our feed and we think, you know, oh, well, I only follow like sources that I trust. So there's no way that anything that's falsified would be able to slip in there because I, you know, firmly believe that these sources that I follow are trustworthy. But even still, if the sources you follow are trustworthy, it doesn't mean that money hasn't slipped into the scenario. At some point along the way and uh, you know that money could have caused any little detail about an issue that you're reading about to change uh, just so that you can be of a certain frame of mind and start spreading that frame of mind and that belief system uh, and certain you know moral and ethical outlook on the world uh with your network and thus change sparking larger, larger social change completely based off of a falsified uh, tidbit of information. So who's who's to say what what's true and what's not true uh, at the given time So stepping away from you know data mining and um, data tailoring, for a second, I want to talk about another uh Netflix documentary that has caught my eye that I haven't gotten a chance to watch yet, but from the trailer uh what I've seen together. It's called The Social Dilemma. And it reminded me a lot of the Generation Like thing we had watched on PBS uh for an assignment earlier in you know, a couple weeks ago. Anyway, so um the social dilemma talks about like how You know originally great like the like button was and digital connectiveness and how it's kept us all together and you know you feel closer to people through the internet you can feel uh like you're not you're still a part of something even if you aren't physically present with it but um on the flip side of that is you can't you do while you may feel slightly a part of something like that nothing beats the real thing so you know having that picture or that memory uh or you know just seeing your friends out doing something um well in theory they're your friends and you should think to yourself oh yeah like they're having a good time that's good for them but i mean it completely takes into the scenario too uh fear of missing out fomo as professor crawford talked about in our one class discussion um and just it can bring feelings of depression and you know false validation and all sorts of feelings to the surface um social media and you know you think that you want this certain amount of validation and you think that if you get that specific number of likes you like you'll feel fulfilled but that's not real validation you know someone could have just not liked it because they were in a rush so you ended up getting you know 50 likes instead of like whatever your normal average is for anything you know maybe on that specific day like people just weren't liking things like you there's all these crazy different you know scenarios that could have come up in each individual's life as they're scrolling through their social media that day and you don't take all of those things into account you only see how many people liked it and if it's not a lot then that day you could feel really shitty about yourself you could feel like you're not your thoughts and opinions aren't valid and that they don't matter but everyone's opinion matters and you shouldn't care about whether or not someone likes your opinion or your picture or the way you looked in that specific picture or how well you edited that photo that photo for Instagram and things like that um and we all We all do it for ourselves you know we we post things for ourselves but without recognition from our peers we could be hesitant to post something the next time so i mean and it goes both ways there's people on uh the both both ends of extremes you know we probably all know someone that posts like 50 stories a day and You know most of them are like wow like that's really interesting that person has something to say and then some of the time it's just like them sort of like crying out for help or like them like begging for your attention like just like a blank screen and you know asking the masses a question that you're like what like i'm obviously not gonna swipe up and answer this thing because it's just you begging for attention from someone and i mean you have to wonder when it's just, like, a mutual friend, like, if that's something that is, like, a deeper thing that they're dealing with, and uh, just, you know, obviously, you keep them, like, in your thoughts and prayers or something like that, but, you know, it's just the world that we live in, you know, so on the flip, on the flip end of that, there's people that may only post once every couple of weeks because they're terrified of posting on social media, you know, they are guessing and second guessing their captions. They're they don't think they look good in the photo. They're self conscious about this, that, and the third. They're too skinny. Their hair's messed up. They have acne. They're you know so many different things. They don't like their clothes that day. The lighting was bad, and all of these things take into account when really we just want to post a picture for ourselves to feel good about ourselves and every if every little thing isn't right then we're going to feel judged so i mean it's just like the title like i said the title is a social dilemma and i'm eager to get into it when i have time myself to see how they break it down and how they talk about that no, i talked about the graphic from the great hack one one graphic they had was a uh, literally like a puppet master pulling all the strings on a puppet And how like social media is that puppet master for us, you know, getting us to move in a certain way uh, to follow a specific social trend or to, you know, make the audience clap or like, you know, so I thought that was a cool uh, like metaphor, that graphic and proposing like, you know, social media being that puppet master of us. Uh, and you know just moving us around to make the audiences laugh or you know inflict a feeling so that's something uh, I'm interested to see and think about moving forward and the last thing I wanted to talk about for the future of the internet is net neutrality while I might not have all the details as it is like an ever-developing topic also there's like different rules per country that change like by the minute. So, um, I know back in 2017, they were trying to introduce, you know, more paywalls even in the United States. Like I said, I'm not entirely well-versed about net neutrality, but I do have an understanding that in, in certain European countries and Asian countries, well, I mean, I'm sure most of us know that obviously like North Korea, like they don't even have access to the internet. Like China has like, ridiculous amounts of censorship um to get you from seeing certain stuff i mean we talk about data tailoring they're tailoring a whole country of people to not be educated um and just keeping them you know ignorant because they're easier to control and convince when they're ignorant so um having implementing something like net neutrality into like a state like China would, you know, make things potentially a lot better for our world, you know, maybe that then Chinese citizens could help advocate for, you know, um, climate change and trying to reverse that because as much as we are trying to do in the United States without, you know, China and other big polluters of big countries changing their tune uh, it's not going to change anytime soon I mean the smog and air pollution in places like China is ridiculous so um, and it's weird to you know tie that to net neutrality and the future of the internet but if we can you know establish some new guidelines in those foreign states to try to get people educated and be able to seek out uh, different opinions rather than having them know, answer to one big state that wants them to think a certain way, you know, it'll be for the better. So uh, I thought net neutrality was important to focus on and talk about when uh, thinking about the future of the internet. And I mean, the economy has to, people have to make money and people are always going to want to make money off of people who are in less of... Uh, an opportunistic, you know, it's all about leveraging, you know, I have the knowledge of the power over you, so you have to pay top dollar for my service. But, I mean, at this point, a lot of people view internet and, you know, day like, information availability to be a basic human right, and I'm of that same thinking, so um i just hope that we can all work towards that and you know like i said to tie it back around um with my first thoughts at the beginning of the podcast you know to the being hopeful with the new president and um the new election and seeing how locally net neutrality and you know spreading the word and informing people has caused change uh makes me hopeful that we can do it you know more domestically and also abroad then as well. So uh, I'm really excited for the future of the Internet. And while you're always worried that, you know, the evil powers that be will, you know, reign supreme, I'm optimistic that, you know, the future can be bright as long as we keep trying to do good and be, you know, be the kind of change that we want to see in the world. So. Uh, I, I preached to everyone to you know continue to advocate for net neutrality and inform themselves uh, about the future of the internet and how we're gonna shape up. So looking forward to listening to some other people's thoughts on this topic and hope you guys enjoyed mine. Thanks.